Kyle Shevlin shares a story familiar to many of our audience, which is graduate school. However, Kyle attended graduate school for divinity with the intention of becoming a minister. After deep reflection, intensive studying online, and encouragement from friends, Kyle changed track drastically and kicked off his software engineering career by joining a web development agency. Kyle now is senior software engineer at Fastly, as well as hosting his own podcast, Second Career Devs, focusing on guests that have made similarly drastic career changes. Hope you enjoy some storytelling. We cover a lot of ground. Give it a listen. Max of the Accidental Engineer here. Today, we have the pleasure of Kyle Shevlin joining us. Kyle, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me, Max. Absolutely. Uh, Do you mind telling our audience a little bit about uh, your own podcast? Sure. Uh, My name is Kyle Shevlin. Uh, I'm a a senior JavaScript engineer, and uh, I also happen to run a podcast called Second Career Devs. It's a podcast where we highlight people who have made career transitions from one career into uh, software development or web development, that sort of thing. So I think it's probably obvious why you're a great guest to have on. Uh, but one thing that by virtue of being a host yourself, you you rarely have the opportunity to share your own story. So <laughs> I wanted to, uh, to give you an opportunity to tell our audience a little bit about how you got into software engineering yourself. Sure. Uh, my story is a little different than most. Uh, I think will be pretty pretty interesting maybe to your audience, I hope. Uh, so I started uh, my adulthood, like my career as a pastor. Uh, I earned a master's of theology from Fuller Theological Seminary back in 2012. And before that, I was doing uh, youth ministry and worship ministry for a number of years. And somewhere while I was in the middle of earning my master's, uh, I kind of caught the coding bug. Um, I, f- through a friend, I found the website Code Academy, and uh, I just got really interested in it. And uh, I ended up burning through their HTML, their CSS, their JavaScript courses, that kind of thing. And uh, I just started making some random stuff. And uh, about a year and a half later, later of doing that day in and, and day out, uh, I realized I had really learned enough skill to go get uh, a new job. And that's what I did. I changed my life and I changed my career. It was really cool. One of the aspects of your story that I'm curious about is moving out west to Los Angeles to go to Divinity School. Uh, were, were there people that you're exposed to by being in LA that uh, helped push you to, uh, take those courses? Actually. Yeah, kind of. Um, so to, to help the audience understand, uh, I'm from Illinois and, uh, I was working there and, um, 
uh, I lost my job during the um, the recession, as many people did, and uh, I was really encouraged to go to seminary. And at the time, there were only a number of seminaries still uh, with open enrollment, and one of them was Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, which happens to be one of the, the most prestigious evangelical seminaries in the country. And I got in, and, and I go to California without really much idea of... Um, what's going to happen or, you know, who I'm going to meet and what living in a big city is going to be like. It was a, it was a big life change. And um, while I was there, as random as this is, uh, I met someone who was also a pastor who changed their career um, through Ultimate Frisbee. My main sport these days is Ultimate. And so I meet a lot of people by playing the sport. And I met a guy named Dave Knight. And uh, Dave is a, uh, he is he is one of the top selling realtors in Los Angeles. Uh, he is he has gone from being a pastor to being able to sell um, multi million dollars worth of homes each year. And he became a good friend of mine and was actually a groomsman in my wedding. And he was always pushing me to think uh, outside of just this this pastoral uh, mental model. He was like, you could still do ministry because he was he was working at the church that we were working at together um while providing uh better for your family i didn't have a family at the time but he was he was pointing out like you are a very capable and smart person why why limit that to doing this one thing or you know if that this one thing like let's let's face it pastors uh, don't make a great deal of money, and often we have lot of, a lot of debt because of the the higher degrees we're expected to get in order to do it. And so he really just pushed me to keep my mind open to uh, different possibilities and opportunities. And uh, while he never pushed me to do coding per se, when uh, when I started to do it, and I started to realize um, not only that I enjoyed it and I was skilled at it, but that this could be something that could potentially really change my life. Uh, he really stands out as someone who kind of helped me keep my my eyes open to changing my life in that way. One of the aspects to grad school that comes up frequently on our podcast is the cost of graduate school. And you've alluded to it. Uh, when you were in your program, uh, paying for it with student loans in large part, uh, and you saw these free resources to learn how to program. Was it, did you have any uh, feelings of surprise about how all of this content is out there for free hmm. versus the education that you were paying to get through the grad program? That's a, that's a really interesting point. I don't think, I don't think as it happened, that was something that really crossed my mind. Um, and I think to some degree, it, it comes down to, um, uh, you know, the brick and mortar education versus the online education. There's just there's just things that brick and mortar aren't able to keep up. There's all sorts of institutions in our world that can't keep up with the way the digital uh, realm is changing things so rapidly. So I don't know that I ever kind of uh, thought about that dichotomy, about that I was paying for an expensive education versus the one uh, that I was receiving for free. That being said, since that time, I have thought about it almost nonstop. Um, it was, it's much more a factor once the student loan bills start coming in than it was during the time of, of, of just 
earning my education. At that time, I was mostly focused on um, not only my own e- education and becoming, uh, you know, better and wiser at what I was learning, but I, I was focused on like relationship development and 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 other areas of personal growth t- too. Because at the time. Uh, I thought I was going to be going into full-time ministry, and I really wanted to be the the most prepared I could be. Um, but since then, since changing careers and 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 moving into software development, and just realizing how far you can go with just um, determination and the gumption to go find uh, whatever resources that are useful to you. Um, it really has made me rethink and re-question the decisions I, I've made in the past. I think I made the joke when we were uh, discussing the show, and I'm happy to make it again, but uh, I kind of look at my master's degree as potentially one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life, just because of the sheer financial ramifications of making that decision. Um, but I feel so lucky to have been able to take a free education and turn it into uh, not only a really fulfilling career in the sense of getting to do problem solving every day and and getting to uh, work with amazing people and know amazing people, but also that it's just a financially uh, lucrative in- industry right now uh, for, for um, devs to be in. And uh, that works out well for me, not only achieving my future financial goals, but for paying down expensive master's education. And and uh, my wife also has a master's degree too. So I'm super thankful that this change has occurred in my life. I think I think it would be great to circle back later in our conversation to hear about your thoughts and opinions on the future of education with software engineering. Uh, the other the other thing I was thinking about when you were telling your story of uh, the burden of paying uh, for a master's degree is that there's a phrase, I, I don't know it in Dutch, but uh, learning money is the phrase I've often heard. And God knows, <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether it's uh, four or five figures <laughs> in US dollars terms, but man, I think all of us have learning money opportunities and it's just a matter of at what age does it happen? And the younger it happens the better, you know, (laughs) and in some ways I think, uh, I think to have that happen, uh, with a tuition in, in your twenties is, is a great deal better than in your thirties or forties when you have children and a mortgage and have the potential to, um, have that learning money experience be on the order of six figures with a, with, you know, foreclosing on a house type of proportional, loss. But on the topic of uh, learning, one of the topics that recurringly comes up on our podcast is learning on the job. And I, the thing a lot of our audience members would like to hear about in my experience is how you got your first job and how was your learning redirected or guided by that first job? Uh, sure. Uh, so my first job i'm gonna i'm gonna step back just a second in the story just to set it up but um i had graduated from seminary in december of 2012 um my wife and i got married in march of 2013 she graduated in june of 2013 and we moved to portland i live in portland oregon um 
we moved to Portland in the end of August, early September of 2013. It was a crazy nine months. Uh, and then during that time, I couldn't really find the work I was hoping to find after earning my master's degree. Um, uh, to put it short, my theology had become a bit more liberal than lots of churches were comfortable with hiring, um, specifically in support of, of certain communities like the LGBTQ community um, and that sort of thing at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I wasn't willing to stop supporting that. I thought that was right. And uh, I came to find that conservative churches tend to have a lot more money than than liberal churches when it comes to hiring. So I'm in this position where um, I'm struggling to find work. I have finished my degree. Uh, my wife's about to wrap up her degree and we're living in a very expensive city. And um it, it kind of occurred to us that we could actually move to a different city and make our savings go further just by moving to a lower cost of living city. And through a, a bit of a long process, um, we ended up choosing Portland and it's worked out really well for us. Um, but when we first got here, uh, I still was kind of looking for pastor work, but I was starting to become open to new ideas and new opportunities. I'd still been doing this coding thing every day, make my pot of coffee, spend two to three hours learning how to code, and then go on with the rest of my day doing you know, the jobs I was doing, that kind of thing. Um, but we get to Portland, and I had the fortune of meeting someone uh, randomly. His name is Mike Abate. He's actually the director of Parks and Rec here in Portland. And I just met him randomly one Sunday when we were visiting a church. And through him, he connected me with a developer named uh, Pete Van Zoen. And he's a, he was just a developer. I didn't know him at all. And he... Um, he got coffee with me and he actually looked through some of the things I had built and he just told me, he's like, Kyle, you have, you've got some good stuff here. Go get yourself a job. Up until that moment, I had never really thought that like I was good enough or that I knew what I was doing enough to go get a job. But literally him just being like, you've made some good stuff, go get a job. So I changed, changed mindset. I was like, okay, I'll just start applying to all sorts of different uh, web development jobs. I didn't really know what would be a good one or a bad one. Um, and I ended up getting what I consider like one of the best breaks of my life. I got a job at an agency here in Portland called Fine. That's F-I-N-E. The, the link would be wearefine.com. And they're just a great little agency. They focus on making brand sites for um, high-end wineries in Napa Valley and hospitality industry and, and things like that. And, um, I just got, I just, I passed the interview and I got in and they've always been good for junior devs. I still push junior devs. I meet to them. I'm like, you're, you're going to find a great place here if you get a job. And, uh, yeah, it was just awesome for me at the time. I only knew, you know, some HTML, some CSS and some jQuery. I didn't even know vanilla JavaScript. And, you know, now I'm a senior JavaScript engineer. So I write a lot of vanilla JavaScript these days. But I knew so little, and yet they were willing to take a chance on me, probably because of, you know, um, my willingness to learn on my own. I mean, I, I was clearly, I could clearly demonstrate that I could teach myself. And so while we were there, um, they're a Ruby on Rails house at the time. And so that kind of pushed me into learning uh, Ruby on Rails. Um, I had never really encountered like MVC architecture and, and that kind of thing. And Ruby was more or less a new language to me. So 
that uh, that pushed me in that direction for a while. And then um, most of our front end at the time was just um, it was either ERB or there's a templating language for Ruby called Slim that we would use. And, you know, we'd, we'd sprinkle some jQuery on top of that. But at that time, that's what I was focused on doing was learning Ruby on Rails. So we'll definitely include uh, links to We Are Fine in the show notes. One thing that would be really awesome to share in the show notes, if it still exists, are any of your uh, old code projects that you showed to your friend who, and he was able to determine that skills-wise, you're ready to, to get a, oh. go get a job. Uh, do you have any of those Git repos still around that we can, that we can I don't, share with I our audience? I don't audience? know. Um, I tend to be someone who... Uh, who who purges things a lot um i uh i <laughs> i remove enough. junk from my home often like at least once or twice a year i go through and i find stuff that i don't need and i may have done the same thing with that but i'm i'm happy to describe a little bit of it cuz i can remember them um one of them was um uh, just a simple website that said is he hired yet dot kyle dot com i think i've removed that <laughs> subdomain uh but it, it it very simply said yes or no and some other things and uh i i think at the time uh i had this dream that i never actually accomplished but i was like i want to set it up so that i can send a tweet and somehow it'll just listen to it and just update but uh, i never figured that out now i could you know with some kind of pub sub kind of thing but at the time you know when you're first starting off you just have these dreams of things that you can accomplish and um you maybe don't know how to accomplish them yet and uh, i think i think it's key to for people like learning to become engineers i i hope I know that's part of my audience. Uh, I don't know if it's part of yours, but you know, part of my audience is is people trying to learn how to code and eventually make the transition. And I, I, I always, I want to tell them and I want them to know that like, it's not a problem that you don't know how to solve something. Uh, that's not a big deal uh, because it would be a big deal if you didn't have the ability or the willingness or the gumption to go and find solutions, right? Like any, almost any problem can be solved. It's just a matter of time or resources or finding the right people to teach you and show you. And so I try and encourage people to never be discouraged by the fact that you don't know a solution yet. You can, you can learn that solution for sure. Agreed. 100%. Um, I think one aspect to, our audience on the accidental engineer is that we get a fair amount of audience members who are not engineers themselves and are not earnestly considering um, a career change to software engineering, but are curious about uh, what all en engineers right. do <laughs> and what 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 is their perspective on the job market. Uh, I think to your point earlier about engineers getting compensated pretty lucratively these days. Uh, there's people outside of engineering who are curious about how to work with these coworkers who are uh, can be black boxes and and go off and sit at their desk for hours and uh, <laughs> communicate through support tickets or uh, feature you know feature discussions and that type of a thing. Yeah, uh, but I totally agree with your comments about. Uh, software engineering being a series of really tricky tasks that are all solvable, but it's a matter of um, how, how 
for how long and how deep will you go in your right. search to, to solve your current problem? Right. I think uh, if you, do you mind if I comment really quickly on like the, the, the relationships between like, say, like if you have product managers trying to get into the black box of engineers, is that okay? So, oh, I, I mean, I think that's it. a really good point. Um, oftentimes in work situations, we end up in silos, right? You have like, like for instance, um, you know, you might have a, a developer silo, a designer silo, and a, like a project manager silo. And, and really what I think it comes down to is, is actually taking the time away from, say, the project or the problems to actually get to know uh, your engineers, like, um, you know, you mentioned how it's a lucrative career and how that might affect it, uh, affect it. And, um, I think for some people like, like myself, um, I really don't want to think about the money. I just want to be paid well enough that all I can really, all I have to focus on is the problems I'm trying to solve. Right. So I, I, I don't want that to be a barrier between me and the relationships that I need to have at, at the workplace I'm at. Um, but but that being said, like engineers are just people. Um, if anyone's out there trying to get to know uh, someone better, you just remember that they are just people. Like y- you have to figure out what works best for them. Um, like for instance, for me, um, you know, uh, I'm not the best morning person, but you can hit me up all afternoon, and I'm totally up to to help out and be there and be for you. And that's just something you'd have to know about me, right? Um, I think sometimes. It's a little too easy in, in organizations, especially, especially companies that are so engineering centric to put them up on this pedestal or treat them as like the only first class citizens in the organization. And really, that's just a that's a cultural problem that needs to be solved. Like um, we need to realize that that all people on the team uh, make contributions that are important. And, uh, you know, engineers need to give just as much respect as, as they want to give back. Right. You know, it's, it's the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated, that kind of thing. Agreed. 100%. (laughs) One of the, one of the things I didn't realize about process of software creation is that it's very different. This, this is something I only learned after a few years in the business of, uh, learning about how agencies build software pretty differently from, uh, employees who are full-time employees at Mm -hmm. uh, tech companies. Uh, Oh, yeah. Was that your experience with your first job at an agency versus your yes, job now? Yes, uh, very much so. Um, so my first two jobs were at um, agencies, and they followed much more of a um, a waterfall uh, workflow. Um, and both of those were, uh, I would call them uh, design centric. Um, I mean, uh, working at Fine, I made some of the craziest like CSS stuff I'll probably ever make in, in my career um, because of how um, focused on making really quality design for their clients, uh, how much that was the focus of the work we were doing. So at Fine, for example, um, there was... Uh, we would be selling our clients on uh, these really high fidelity mockups. We would actually go through a process where they would assign three different designers to come up with ideas for a client. Um, and so they would present these radically different ideas and the client would like vote on them. And eventually they'd, they'd narrow down to an art direction that they were going with the project. 
Um, and that, if you could imagine, that takes a considerable amount of time given the full scope of the project, like the full, the full like time range that you're going to work on the project. And, and then from there, they would tend to like work through all the designs and eventually it would be like, here you go, developer, please make this. You now have three weeks, uh, you know, or, or something like that. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't quite like that abrupt, but it, it, it was often that way. Like the, the pressure would fall upon um, the developer to be able to deliver on this product. And, um, you know, sometimes you'd run into something that was like, oh, that looked amazing in Photoshop, uh, can't do it on the web or something like that. And you'd be, you'd be at a bit of an impasse and you'd, it would be, it would be a real challenge because the clients have already seen this or that thing. And you're trying to, you're trying to give the client what they're paying for. Right. So, um, you know, those were always challenging moments. And I think that's a, that's one of the challenges of working in an, in an agency, but there are many positives about working in an agency. I feel like the big positive is how quickly you can uh, start to adapt uh, new techniques and new technologies sometimes because, you know, next month you're on a new project that you're starting maybe from scratch again. And um, that gives you a lot of opportunity to keep, keep learning and keep growing. Um, I never, I very rarely felt like bored uh, at an agency with what I was doing just because the sheer volume of new work I was getting to do and new techniques I was getting to try. Um, on the other side, uh, I work now for a company you mentioned called uh, Fastly, where we are a um, we're we're a con we're we're an edge cloud uh, um, platform company. Uh, you know that's that's one of those. Uh, fancy marketing words what what i kind of describe us and what we are is a we are a content delivery network that that's like so much better than the content delivery networks that you remember in the past i mean fastly actually has about 10% of all internet traffic running through its global network right now and one of the the most incredible things fastly can do is um we can purge our global cache our global cache in under 150 milliseconds you know, if somebody says something or like, let's say Trump says something dumb again and it goes into the New York Times or something like that. And then he says something new an hour later, we can purge that old stuff so fast. It's amazing. Uh, but it does mean because mm -hmm. you have requirements like that where we have security things to consider. We have uh, these big customers to take care of. And, um, you know, when you have the responsibility of 10% of the world's internet traffic going through your network, I mean, things, things go at a different pace and for a very good reason. Right. And so, uh, I work on their mm -hmm. front end team and, uh, what we do is we try and build up UI that supports our customer's ability to configure using our network. And, uh, it's, it's a very different thing because now rather than, um, you know, pumping out this, uh, this, this website in a matter of a few weeks that doesn't really have a lot of, of interactivity or, um, it's not actually really working much with an API in terms of like a user submitting a bunch of data and we're massaging that data and we're doing stuff with it. I, I'm, that's what I'm doing here, right? All I'm doing is handling like user interactions making sure the stuff they do is valid, making sure that it doesn't take anything down, that things have like one, you know, 
I don't I don't know that we make a guarantee. I'd have to look up the legalese, but you know, we're making sure we have as much uptime as possible. Like we don't want any downtime. We have totally different concerns in some ways. Uh, when you're at an agency, you can build a website and all it has to do is it just has to work. It doesn't have to be the 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 best thing because you might not touch it again for three or four years. That company will come back and be like, okay, time for a redesign. Whereas when you work at a product company, um, you that thing is a living it's it's a living growing uh like creature almost right like and you have to nurture it it's it's a it's a totally different challenge so uh, skills wise you've mentioned having to learn ruby on rails in your first agency job uh you've mentioned to me that at fastly you guys are using ember js to create your front ends uh and I know that you are deeply interested in the future of these areas, and you uh, have worked a lot with React and functional programming, and even going so far as to give talks. Um, what what uh, what are you most optimistic about going forward in this in the space of uh, your toolkit for for? Oh, doing that's what that's you do? a really great question. Um, so my biggest passions right now uh, lie with um, React and, and Redux and that that ecosystem right there. And and what I really find appealing about it, and I think to be the the strongest um, characteristic of it, is that uh, your your entire problem set is solved in the same language. Um, with React, you're, you you solve all your problems with with JavaScript. React has a very minimal uh, API, and then you know when you run into something you need to solve, rather than reaching deeper into an API, you reach into the language itself and you leverage it. Right? You 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 just use the language to solve your problems, and and not only that, but your templates in React aren't some other domain. There's not um, any kind of strange binding that's happening in a black box to you they're also just javascript uh i mean people familiar with react will know that you're writing something called jsx but if you understand what that compiles down to you would know it's it's just javascript function so i'm really excited about these declarative uh, functional frameworks that allow us to build ui and especially do so as ui is just a um, a constant representation of your app state. Um, that's really interesting to me. And that's what kind of pushed me into learning things like, like functional programming, because I kind of end up with this mental model of that we can make our UIs almost a pure function of sorts. We pass in data and we get the same UI out every time we pass in that data. Now, uh, those who are uh, those who listen to this who know functional programming will know that's not quite true, and I, I really hope they don't uh, harass me on Twitter too badly about that that analogy. But that's kind of how I see it, and uh, which which kind of leads to the things I'm excited about. Like I think the things today that I'm really excited about learning, especially in 2018, is uh, I'm really excited for these even even stronger uh, functional front end. Uh, frameworks and languages that are coming out specifically um elm would be a great one and reason ml uh elm is this um really amazing uh language that uh compiles down to um uh let me try that again elm is sure, this sure. okay elm. 
Elm is this really great language that uh, is 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 purely functional, allows you to build UIs with. And then uh, ReasonML, uh, this other one, is uh, it's created by the same person who created React by Jordan Walk, and it's it's this really interesting. Um, it's actually a syntax built on top of. If I hope I get it right, I'm going to sound like a fool if I don't. But I think it goes: uh, you write Reason code, it transpiles to OCaml, which can be then transpiled to all sorts of things. And uh, for JavaScript specifically, it goes through uh, a, a something called BuckleScript and then to JavaScript. But what's really neat about ReasonML is that we'll be able to make that transpilation to all sorts of things. You'll be able to write reasons straight to native code uh, pretty soon. And they're doing some really incredible work right now. Some of it's a bit over my head. But um, both these languages, the things that they really offer that I think are useful to front-end developers are things like uh, type safety and, and really amazing errors, honestly, because of the, st- uh, the static type checking and that kind of thing. Like if I, if I misspell a variable in Elm and uh, I try and use something later on and it goes to compile and it can't, it not only tells me like, hey, you made a mistake on this line, it's smart enough to know we think you meant this one and it just makes your developer experience uh not only really like satisfying in the sense of you just solve your bugs uh like really quickly but it it just makes you faster because um you end up reasoning about your your uis and your 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 front end your applications in i think better patterns and and that's why i really like try and encourage functional programming patterns to people and those kinds of things Having talked about education earlier in our field, uh, and now talking about React, JavaScript, uh, different paradigms uh, or methodologies for for writing front end code, uh, I thought it would be a good chance to plug a couple of things uh, outside of your podcast. Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong. We'll soon be uh, producing coursework. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big fan of, uh, a couple things, um, specifically, uh, the one that I'm going to start building some coursework for is egghead IO. Um, egghead IO is a really great website for, um, uh, learning material. They really focus on these really tight, um, atomic videos, these screencasts of learning topics. So, um, for example, I'm going to plug my buddy, um, Kent C. Dodds. He's a great JavaScript engineer, works at PayPal, and he's put out two courses, uh, last month that are just amazing. They're, um, the beginner's guide to react and, uh, advanced, advanced react, I think is the name of it. But, uh, you know, they're just amazing courses for people wanting to, to learn this stuff. Um, you, can you give can you give our audience any kind of a sneak peek about sure, what absolutely. your courses might um, be? So called? I'm I'm working on a couple courses uh, for uh, Egghead right now. Um, specifically, what I'm going to focus on is an introduction to functional programming. Uh, I I I've given a talk a couple times on uh, introducing functional programming to people who have who have never done it. Um, and I think I think functional programming itself can be really intimidating because it has all this vernacular that comes from its long history with mathematics and and that kind of thing. And and math can be really intimidating to people, but it's it's not math in the sense of like one plus one equals two. It's more math in the sense of uh 
you know, one plus two equals three and two plus one equals three, you know, like that ability to flip things around and, and those kinds of things. Uh, I could get into the lingo, but that's the, that's the whole point. I avoid the lingo to try and focus on what are the concepts you need to learn. So that's one of the ones I'm working on. Uh, I'm also working on a project that will probably come out much later in the year, but I'm really interested in teaching about data structures. Um, especially things like immutable data. Um, as someone who came to software engineering as a second career, one of the things I, I did have some struggles with when uh, I started looking for um, jobs in these bigger companies, uh, solving these tougher problems is that uh, I didn't have the, um, the computer science background. So I didn't have the um, I didn't have all this like knowledge I learned from a CS degree. So I've had to go back and learn things, not only like data structures, but big O notation and, and just those kinds of things. I think they're really helpful for devs trying to take their work to the next level. Agreed. Agreed. I, I want to urge our audience members who are, if any of those courses sound interesting to you, well, check out egghead.io, but also check out, uh, Kyle's Twitter feed, uh, follow him. I'm sure he'll be updating uh, you guys with info about when those courses Absolutely. make it live. Um, I just love teaching in general. Um, I'm going to plug my own. Uh, I, I stream on Twitch about once a week, every Tuesday, and I teach uh, React and JavaScript to people uh, through that. And um, yeah, I'm always I'm always trying to drop a little tip here and there on 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 Twitter. I think I think that's one of the most wonderful things about our industry is just how willing people can be to provide information and knowledge share and and help each other out. And I, I try and do my my best part with that. And you know, whatever little thing I might happen to know, you never know who doesn't know it already. So I try and I try and share what I know to people. Well, I think we're all appreciative for the the content you're putting out there, free and paid, and uh, I, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much, this Max. Been I really awesome. enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us for the Accidental Engineer podcast. If you enjoyed our interview with Kyle and want to hear more about professional software engineering careers, visit our website at theaccidentalengineer.com. We have a large backlog of video interviews and sign up on our email list to be notified when we publish new ones.